Jonah chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. Now where we left off last time, Jonah had made the metropolitan Nineveh tour, and he had exited to the east of the city. This was Jonah's view, possibly from the east. You can see Nineveh over here. And so somewhere in this region, from the east side, Jonah would have sat and waited for Nineveh's destruction. That destruction never came, so Jonah built a temporary uh, shelter. And this shelter would have been crude. And so now Jonah's sitting there waiting for the destruction of Nineveh. Or at least so he thought. He thought maybe God might have a change of mind. Maybe God would eventually destroy the enemies of Israel. And so that's where we pick up. Now, we're finishing the book today. And anytime you finish a book, particularly even in the book of Jonah, everything's going to come together now. It's going to finish right here, and we're going to get to the heart of what the issue was for the prophet Jonah. So God uses a visual lesson, verses 6 through 8. God uses a visual lesson. Now you notice uh, in verse 6, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. Lord is the name Yahweh. That's the creator of the universe, the one who has... Uh, who placed the stars into the heavens, who created the earth and everything in it. But he also couples this with the Lord God, Elohim. That is the creative power of Yahweh. This word appointed is mana in the Hebrew. And it means to select a specific place. This is another way you could think of it this way. Jonah is out looking uh, he's looking west from the east side, looking at Nineveh, and it just so happens that a plant grows up over Jonah. That shows that God was very specific in what he was doing. Now the question comes up, what kind of plant was this? Well, if you look at what's indigenous to Mesopotamia, you come up with a castor bean plant. A castor bean plant, as you can see here, has a lot of foliage. So if you're on the inside of this castor plant, you have plenty cover from the sun. This castor plant can grow up to 12 feet high in size. Now, he would not have had access to timber because timber was very expensive. You had to import timber. So we know for sure that his uh, temporary shelter was not built with timber. Because anytime you use the word imported, you immediately think of expensive, which it was. If we talk about you're getting an import, uh, an imported car, you immediately think of it's going to be expensive. So it was expensive. So Jonah's uh, temporary shelter was very crude. And it says that it might be shade over his head. So Jonah would have sat under this, it came up over his shelter, so he had plenty coverage as he's looking out over Nineveh, waiting for the fire from heaven to destroy Nineveh. And the reason that God sent that castor bean plant 
was to save him from his discomfort. To save him from his discomfort. You could say it this way, relieve him from, his, from harm. So in other words, the sun's rays, he wanted to protect him. And by the way, in the region, the mean temperature would have been 110 degrees. That's the mean temperature. Could be higher, could be lower. But it was very hot there. <laughs> this is interesting too. So, Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now, wait a minute. Is this the same prophet that we saw do this just last week? He was spitting mad. I know many of you like my jump, so that's why, that's why I do it. I know you do. He was spitting mad, but now Jonah is deliriously happy. Wow! We go from angry to, wow, this is awesome. I'm, I'm sitting here. He's, I don't think he had iced tea or lemonade, but he's sitting there. He's sitting there looking over Nineveh, and he goes, man, this is awesome. A great view. I've got shade. I can just watch God destroy this place. Wow. <laughs> How can you go from being hopping mad and just a few verses later, being happy. Mm. Douglas Stewart's right. A general rejoicing in Nineveh over deliverance from divine wrath would infuriate Jonah. That's why he was mad, because God had told him, I'm going to spare Nineveh because they repented. And by the way, any time a person repents, God forgives and wipes it out and will not do anything against that person. But personally, his own special good fortune resulting in from an act of pure divine grace was de great delight. <laughs> so you have the people of Nineveh who were godless. We've all gone through that already in this series. They were godless, but those people fell on the ground, put sackcloth on, and repented to the Lord, and God spared them. That was a, that was a time for happiness. Jonah now has a plant come up and cover him, and he's happy. There's something going on here. But God's getting ready to get to the heart of it. Yeah, you, see the, you see what's happening here? The people in Nineveh were joyful over a spiritual issue. Jonah was excited over a physical issue. Jonah was not concerned about the spiritual side. He was concerned about the physical side. So God now, he has this moment of comfort. Jonah's happy. You can really almost see him just kind of sitting there, all shaded over. This is awesome. He's not hot. Castor bean plants got him covered. He already had a crude shelter. God just grew right over that. He's all happy sitting there waiting. God's going to change his mind. Well, I think I've studied the Bible a little bit, and I do know that when a person confesses their sin, God wipes it out. He doesn't hold it over our head again. And you would expect a prophet of God who had prophesied that Jeroboam II's reign would expand, and it did. You would think that a prophet of God would, know, would have known that. But, see, Jonah's still seeing this through physical eyes, not spiritual eyes. 
Now he's going to get into some distress. By the way, all of this is fascinating. But when the dawn came, up the next day, God appointed, that's the second time we've seen that word, manah. It means to place something just perfectly. God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. This is so awesome. So, most scholars believe because of the Mesopotamia area, uh, Nineveh, Mosul area, um, this would have been like a black, a black, mostly black uh, uh, caterpillar. So the word worm here refers to a creeping, crawling thing. But uh, most scholars would agree that this is probably the worm that God sent to knock out the plant. Now, the, the worm would have attacked the root. Let, let, me, let me say this, that the worm would have hit the root. And by the way, this plant is very temperamental. This castor bean plant, very temperamental. Any change in temperature, it withers. Anything happens to the leaves, it'll wither. So it's very temperamental, very temperamental. So this worm would have attacked the root. And what would have happened from that is it would have withered. Now there's, there's a, I, I, I don't think, I, I think this is exactly the plant that was used because of their, uh, so many of them in the, in the region. And God wouldn't have changed that just to change it. If we take a look at this plant, if you look at this plant and you think about its temperament and what would kill it would be just a little nibble or two on the root. You know what? This is the prophet. This is Jonah. Jonah's so temperamental. One moment he's whirly mad and the next moment he's joyful and jumping up and down. So temperamental. So temperamental. Of course God chose this plant to cover him because he's saying, Nineveh or Jonah, you see this plant? That's you. That's you. That's a picture image in and of itself that Jonah could understand. And Jonah would have probably known that this plant was very temperamental too. So, but also, and most scholars agree with this, that this worm would have hit the root first. And I think what is happening here, when this plant withered overnight, and sometimes these plants can wither within an hour. They're so temperamental. God is now getting to the root of Jonah's problem. He's getting to the root of Jonah's problem. You know, let me just say this. You know, we need to be careful in our own lives. We need to be careful in our own lives because I think God gives us illustrations all the time that we sometimes miss. Let me give you an example. You may have somebody in your life that you're thinking, they don't deserve God's grace. They don't deserve the grace of God, and you're just not going to pray for them. 
and you might even be rude to them because you don't think that they deserve the grace of God. Somewhere down the road in a short period of time, the same thing that you dish out will come back home. There may be somebody in your life that later down the road, a week, or I don't know, maybe the next day, or a week, or maybe two weeks later, somebody's going to come around the, down the pike and is going to do the same thing to you what you did to the person. Happens. Because God is always in the business of giving us an image of our own spiritual condition. And I think... I think this, is, this makes, to me, makes perfect sense that God would use a highly temperamental plant to deal with a highly temperamental prophet. It doesn't stop there. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of the prophet Jonah so that he was faint. Well known. Well known in the region. It's called a Sirocco. Um, temperatures, when a Sirocco hits, first of all, you have to understand this is, this is a wind. It is, a, it is an east wind that blows. And so when that wind starts, Sand comes up, and they fly through the air. And when it hits the skin, it can cut you. But not only that, when a Sirocco hits in that region, temperatures soar as much as 30 degrees. So if it's 90 degrees when a Sirocco starts, it is 120 degrees when it hits. That's a huge temperature change. You notice yesterday when we had the rain, it was so hot earlier, but when the rain came, the temperatures dropped down, and boy, it felt good. But in this case, it's going to feel bad because the temperature range. So this Sirocco hits, and this is an interesting fact, too, that in that region, if a crime is committed, when there is a Sirocco, the charges against the individual would be lessened. In other words, if you committed a crime, but it happened during one of these events, the judge would reduce the sentence. And you say, well, why? Because scientifically, a Sirocco will mess with your serotonin. It will also mess with the neurotransmitters in the brain. Fact. Simple fact. That's why nobody wants to be out. So what happens then is there is an altered state of behavior. And from this altered state of behavior comes the fact that people will do what they would not normally do. Not only that, but when, when a Sirocco hits, it can also cause heat exhaustion, fatigue, and passing out. So this was not just a little east wind that was coming through. This was something that is well documented, well known in the region, that this is a serious thing. And by the way, people have died in a Sirocco because of the, of the sand hitting the skin and killing them. 
So this isn't just like a little storm that cropped up. This is a pretty serious thing that they, that they guard against even today in the, in the culture. This is something serious. So, when we do a casual, just a casual reading, the way we normally read it, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Let me say what would have, the way Jonah would have said this. It is better for me to die than to live. Because of the serotonin levels and the neurotransmitters and the brain and the fatigue and what it would have caused in Jonah's physical state. So it's not Jonah saying it's better for me to die than live. Jonah is now experiencing total distress. Total distress. You know what's interesting about this, about this text? And I, I looked at it and looked at it and I said, you know what? Jesus said that hell is the place or Gehenna, is the place where the worm burns but does not die. Do you know what two images are in this passage of Scripture? A worm and heat. Sheol. The Hebrew, Sheol. So Jonah is right now the days of comfort are over. Jonah, whose skin would have been bleached white from the whale, we know that, now probably has helps and whelps all over him. Because of the Sirocco, he is about done physically. He's at, he's, could die. And in this case, Jonah would have rather died than to live the way he is right now. So now, Jonah is in a condition where God can teach him. I might want to say sometimes in our lives, God has to get us and bring us to a point. Whatever's going on in your life, it could be that God is getting you to a place where he wants to teach you a lesson, or me a lesson. Where all the circumstances are just lined up, and God has you where you have the ear towards God. Jonah's there. You see how this is all moving? You see how God is... Uh, and you know what God could have said to Jonah... He could have taken Jonah out whenever he wanted to. You do know that. But God was showing compassion to Jonah. Now the dialogue, pretty short. <laughs> but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Not at the plant, but for the plant. 
By the way, this follows the same format as chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Jonah requests to die, and God asks a question. Jonah requests to die, God asks a question. Same format. And he said to the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, he says to him, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Uh-oh, guess what? Jonah's got a little bit of strength left because you know what that word is. Hara. He's back to jumping, angry, mad. Yes, I do well to be angry. The plant, the temperamental plant. Jonah loved that plant. It wasn't at the plant. He was angry for the plant. How could a plant die? It meant so much to me. Are you starting to get a little zoom in here? Is it starting to click? I, it should be. Jonah's like, no. I love the plant. It was comfort to me. God's thinking, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm starting to get your attention, Jonah. Jonah believed that the plant should live. Mm -hmm. It was important to Jonah that the plant live. Douglas Stewart, in the argument, God now has him where he wants him. That's Jonah. Of his own free will, Jonah has declared a plant to be eminently worthy to live, a thing of great concern to himself. He has expressed outrage that the plant has been annihilated. It is horribly wrong that the gourd should have been struck down. Okay, let me get this. Jonah is extremely concerned about a plant that died, but could care less about people who repented. That's a problem. That's a problem. Isn't that... A problem that's just exclusive to Jonah. In the Old Testament, Haggai chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai. I love that. The hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? In other words, this reference here is when the nation of Israel came back from Babylonian captivity and they focused more on their own comfort 
than they did the house of God. So when they came out of captivity, the God who delivered them from Babylonian captivity, they went home, they built their houses, and forgot the house of God. Jonah's problem was he forgot God's mission. God's mission has not changed since the days of Noah, Jonah. God's mission is to seek those who are lost so that they might be saved. Brothers and sisters, have we gotten so comfortable in our own life that we have forgotten that there are people that need to know the life-changing message of the gospel? And it can happen just like very slowly, all of a sudden, you're not so concerned about the neighbor. You're not so concerned about the person that, that is acting crazy. You go, well, that guy's kind of weird. I'm just not going to mess with him. No, that person is acting exactly like a lost person. And we need to turn our hearts back towards an evangelical view of the world. Yeah. We've got to stop focusing on our own comfort. Because it's easy to do. It's easy to do. It's easy to get so comfortable in our spiritual skin that we forget that there's those out there that have no spiritual skin. They don't have a relationship with Christ. And the stuff that we spend time on, I kind of wonder about. Even self-evaluation. So the prophet of God is now more concerned about a plant than he is people. But there's an application coming. Verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said, you pity the plant. Look, look at what God says to him. This is the longest dialogue in the book, as far as I'm concerned, with God speaking to Jonah, which is good because we're at the end. And the Lord said, You pitied the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Pity. Hekvav samik. Hekvav samik. And that means to look upon something with compassion. God says, Jonah, you have compassion for a plant that you had no investment in. Genuine compassion. Because this is emphatic. Jonah was like, the plant, the plant, I can't believe the plant. Jonah, did you put the seed in the ground? Did you water it? Did you grow it? No, you're worried more about a plant that shot up in one day and died in one day than you are a people who have been in Nineveh for hundreds of years. You're more concerned about the plant. There's a, there's a, there's a problem. There's a problem. You should show deep, you should show deep compassion for the people and thank God for the plant as long as it lasted. Jonah's got it flipped around. You see that? He's got it flipped. 
but you don't show compassion towards people who repented. Now listen to God's thrust here, which confirms what we just talked about. You can see there's really no response from Jonah, but I think even Jonah could, pick, could get this. God says, and should I not pity, show compassion to Nineveh, the great city. You remember we talked about the great city. God was going to transform it into a place where his name would be honored. Of course, it didn't stay that way. We realize that. Should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also to show that God does care about animals, and also much cattle? Jonah, Jonah, I care about the people of Nineveh. There's 120,000 souls that are clueless. And this great God, this great loving God, reaches out to his own enemy to try to reach them with a message that would change their heart. And he used Jonah, a temperamental prophet, hot one minute, joyful the next minute. And then I thought, that is me. That is me. That's you. We're so temperamental. And God still, by the grace of God, he uses us in the kingdom of God. Jonah now, he's pulling Jonah back and he says, Jonah, 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 there are souls here in the balance. Care about them the way that you care about that plant. Let's flip the equation around. And Jonah, I want you to show compassion to these people, even though they are the enemies of God. And by the way... The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest apostles in my mind, that's me personal, he was breathing out threats against the church, imprisoning Christians, having them killed, but on the road to Damascus, had an encounter with Jesus Christ. It radically changed his life. He went back, and you know what happened when he got to the church, so to speak? They didn't, they didn't trust him. They didn't trust him. He had to prove himself. God's saying, God told somewhere between chapter 3 and chapter 4, God told Jonah that he had, had, had to have been, because it's, it's, it's a dialogue that has already happened. Jonah knew, and I think Jonah didn't believe God and went, up, went east of the city, looked out and just waited, because certainly God's going to change his mind. God never changes his mind when people repent. Or when you, when you or I re repent. God doesn't say, no, no, it doesn't count. No, this is the enemy of God. Two quick quotes before we close. 
I like what G.V. Smith says through Smith and Page commentary. God will and does act in justice against sin. We know that. But his great love for every person in the world causes him to wait patiently, to give graciously, to forgive mercifully, and to accept compassionately even the most unworthy people in the world. To experience the grace of God and not be willing to tell others of his compassion is a tragedy that must be avoided. Messengers of God can neither limit the grace of God nor control its distribution, but they can prevent God's grace from even having an effect in their own lives. In other words, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, as far as I know, brothers and sisters, the gospel is open to all. We can't limit it to a social economic group or to uh, uh, a specific, specific gender. The gospel is open to all. And that is the mission that Jesus gave us. It is to go into Nineveh and to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Even the guy that staggers out of the bar over here on Saturday night. One final quote. Paul Mackerel. Really good quote. In our case, the thing we cherish is likely to be something other than a plant. But the point is still valid. How does the worth of an immortal soul stack up against our chosen toy, whatever that toy may be? The question is asked in terms of souls, but it can also be asked of the individual's soul. What do you show great compassion for? And is it equal? showing great compassion to a world that is dying.